The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So joining us for the week trending, some of the stories making headlines this week, we're joined by our own Pamela Joyce from Lunchtime here on Today FM and Mark Paul, business columnist with the Irish Times. We had a lengthy chat about Kanye West in yesterday's programme. We might touch upon him and the week trending, given that he has been so dominant in the news this week. But I want to talk, first of all, about Matthew Perry. Uh, the Friends star has written a book, Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing. And Mark Paul is quite clear the big terrible thing is addiction. Yeah, his addiction issues. I mean, alcohol and drugs. I mean, you know, for people of my generation who, who would have watched Friends all through college, all through um, our early 20s, I had no idea at the time that Matthew Perry had such um, addiction difficulties. He was on 55 Vicodins a day. What is, um, what's a Vicodin? Vicodin is like, kind of like a Valium, isn't it? Is that what it's, it is? It's, okay. it's, it's, it's kind of like a Valium. He was on 55 Vicodins a day. I mean, his heart stopped at one stage. Um, he, was, he was the only season of Friends, apparently, that he was sober for was season nine. Um, one of the uh, one of the finales he, he filmed while he was actually in rehab. They let him out for a day um, to film. The, the show finale. must go on. He spent nine million dollars on rehab, according to he. Had, that, that's what he has spent. So he's been clean for the last eighteen months, apparently, since around about um, around about the time of the of the of the last Friends reunion from when that was filmed. And um, so he's had a difficult uh, time, a difficult life. He spent a lot of money and, and, and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. I'm sure trying to uh, trying to get clean. And um, what comes through from the coverage of his memoir. Um, is that his friends really were, his friends on the show really were his friends in real life, reached out to him a lot. Jennifer Aniston, Lisa Kudrow apparently was very good at trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. Um, so um, if, you're, if you're a Friends fan um, and, and, you know, it's sort of, it's nostalgic for you, um, maybe read this book and just see, maybe there was a different side to what was going on that we didn't see. Because Pamela, you're a lot younger than me. You're yes, younger I am, yes, than correct. Mar- <laughs> you're younger than Mark. <laughs> But you, I believe, are also part of the generation that loves Friends, which just goes on incredibly. I mean, even my... Uh, teenagers loved watching it for years on the constant Netflix reruns. It's definitely a cross-generational thing. I think it's going to be on and on and on because it's always on telly. It's one of those things that, you know, if you've nothing to watch in the evening or if you've a few bits to do, you stick on Friends in the background and you go about your business. And I'm not usually one for reading memoirs and autobiographies. I'm more of a fiction person, but I think this one, I'll definitely give it a go. It's only 250 pages, so it's not going to be that taxing to read. But, you know, there's going to be um, insights into never heard, never before heard stories from his time on Friends and his time as a high profile actor and one of them uh, that's really interesting in the stories you know the Netflix film Don't Look Up um, it had an unbelievable cast um, Jennifer Lawrence Leonardo DiCaprio Meryl Streep he was actually cast to be in that film and uh, as a kind of knock-on effect, I suppose, of his addiction. He wasn't able to film it. He His heart actually stopped, as Mark said, that his heart stopped for five minutes um, and such was the pressure put in his body when he was receiving CPR to resuscitate him. He actually broke eight ribs and he was in so much pain from that that he wasn't actually able to film his part and Don't Look Up Now. Might have been a blessing in disguise because the film was shocking. But all the same, no, it wasn't great now. But he said, you know, that would have been the, the biggest casting of my career and, and this He hasn't done an enormous amount really, has he? He did Studio 66 on the Sunset Strip which was one series or another Aaron Sorkin scripted thing with Bradley Whitford um, and that didn't go anywhere after that for him did it? He sort of disappeared clearly because of all of these issues. He did kind of have a resurgence as well kind of in the mid-2000s he did a film with Zac Efron called 17 again where it was kind of like okay this is going to introduce him into the, the younger generation that are you know the Zac Efron generation which is a great film but again obviously his addiction issues were their ugly head and it affected him massively. 
How much sympathy do you think will there be for his addiction issues? Because it strikes me, Kanye West is somebody we discussed at length on yesterday's programme, and there seems to be perhaps a little bit less sympathy for his mental health issues. And here we have, which addiction is another mental health issue, I suppose. Well, look, if you look at how pervasive it's been throughout his life and how it keeps coming back and back again, clearly it's a a disease for him. So, you know, I mean, obviously he makes bad choices um, and has made them all the time. But um, obviously, you know, I'm sure he didn't want a a life like this. It's it's actually worth noting and and just going back to something that Pam said about the, 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 the resurgence that he had. The one and only season of Friends where he won an Emmy for Best Actor was was the only season that he was sober for, um, which was season nine. He and he said that when he was filming that season, that instead of just waiting to say his lines, that he actually listened to what the other actors were saying, and that's why he acted better. And um, so it's affected him uh, all through his career. And um, I would have some sympathy for him. Now he's thrown a little bit of shade in the book as well. And hmm. um, he made a couple of pretty sharp comments about Keanu Reeves. What did Keanu Reeves ever do to him? I, I don't know, but clearly there must be some pre-existing well, he, problem he between has them. Since issued an apology and said that he just plucked Keanu Reeves' name out of, you know, whatever amount of stars. He said, I should have actually used my own name in that context uh, because he, it seems that he was kind of attacking Keanu Reeves, but in the book, on two occasions, he uses Keanu Reeves' name to kind of, you know, say, what's going on here? He references why the likes of Keanu Reeves are still around when true talents like River Phoenix aren't. And he does the same thing again when he's talking about late comedian Chris Farley. You know, why is Keanu Reeves still around? Now, he, like I said, has issued an apology and probably is a bit like, well, but an editor should have caught that really if a, he didn't specifically mean... A, a semi-apology. What yeah. he actually said was my mistake, which, which, which I thought was actually a third attempt at having a crack at Keanu Reeves. <laughs> it was such a bad apology. Um, so look, um, there's a little bit of uh, sweet and sour in that book by the looks of it. Um, so uh, look, you know, I'm sure it's a good read. Yeah, there's one listener says Matthew Perry blew any sympathy he was getting by blasting Keanu Reeves. Reeves did no media or press when tragedy entered his life. Uh, Reeves dealt with his trauma in private. She don't know what that's about. Another listener says, Don't Look Up was great. And another one says, So 17 again was a great movie, but Don't Look Up wasn't. <laughs> you know, it's all about personal taste, you know. Isn't it just? Yeah. Isn't it just? I'm thinking uh, Zac Efron, yeah. give it an Oscar. Okay. <laughs> Mark, another book that has now been delayed to the new year, which is already getting an enormous amount of pre-publicity, is Prince Harry's book, Spare. Spare a reference to the uh, the adage that in, in in royal families you need an heir and a spare, um, and of course. Uh, uh, Prince William is the heir or was the heir to the throne so the reference to being a spare means well um, you're sort of the one then who needs to find purpose to your life right um, um, and Prince William was born with purpose he was going to reach the crown um, and, and, and Harry never was so so he's been looking so it sort of plays into this notion that he's always been looking for a purpose in his life um, now he, he's actually not I, I thought he was going to get a load of money for this book he, actually he's donating all of his proceeds to charity he's already donated 1.6 million pounds um, to charity um, but it's you know it's it's, it's a guaranteed um, um, uh, bestseller already. But you but can is al- it going to be worth it to him for the flack he is going to end up taking, particularly from the British media? Well, well, well clearly he has some scores that he wants to continually settle. I mean, you can already see the PR war um, uh, starting out in relation to this book. I mean, it, it was in planning and, and, and it started before uh, Queen Elizabeth died. And obviously he, he felt a little bit of a pull to maybe tone it down a little bit after she died. So there's been stories planted in the British media that he's going to tone the book down. But then there's other stories being planted that those stories are are are, are are, uh, are just part of the PR war and that actually he's going to go gloves off for the royal family. Mm. It'll be interesting to see now that Charles is king if he will make the same kind of veiled criticisms of Charles, of his father that he made when, when, when it was Prince Charles or will he back off a little bit now that he's the monarch? 
Well, I mean, what he says is that it's a first-hand account of my life that is accurate and wholly truthful. The book is called Spare. I would rather call it Spare Me. I mean, boo-hoo, you're not going to have the complete weight and responsibility of being a monarch, but you're never going to want for anything in your life. I think it's a little bit of a, oh, poor me, my big brother is going to be the king and I get nothing. You're grand, Harry. You'll be fine. You're never going to want for anything. Uh, I think it's kind of... He's kind of settled in his right. I'm now not part of the monarchy anymore. I need to kind of keep this up and keep myself relevant and keep myself and, Me- and Megan in the spotlight. But all the relevance is related to his previous involvement in the royal family. But that's a bit contradictory, isn't it? And he also says, I'm going to write this book not as the prince I was born, but the man I have become. Spare me. Come on, Harry, now. And he's also going to read the audiobook version of it. Have you ever thought of anything more dull in your life? That accent in your ear constantly. No, thanks, Harry, not for me. And I, I used to be a big fan of the monarchy and I used to be a fan of Harry. I thought he was a bit of crack and now I'm like, you're milking it. You're taking it a bit too far. Okay, the, the release has been delayed because of the, his grandmother's death. Um, and of course, we're going to have an enormous amount of fun, I think, in the next few weeks when Netflix releases The Crown and there's going to be all sorts of I already it started in the British newspapers trying to condemn this as inappropriate and untimely, despite the fact that all of these same newspapers have been trading in royal gossip for decades. Look, I mean, just log on any day of the week, log on to the Daily Mail's website and two out of every three stories are royal family stories. Mm. So they've all been making money off it for years. They've all been you know, generating content, generating traffic um, and, and, and selling ads on the back of the royal family for years. Um, so I'm not sure if, if Harry is making money off the back of it or if, the, or if Netflix is making money off the back of it with the crown. Um, I'm not sure they're doing anything different to, to what anybody else has done. I mean, look, is it series five of the crown? Is, is yes. that the one that's yeah. coming? And the period that it covers is what, the 19, 1990s? Roughly the 19 90s. So a lot of the people, you know, it was different with earlier seasons of uh, of, of the Crown. There were there were people, you know, there were decades and decades ago. Some of these people are now the main players um, and are, are, are right at the heart of events. Charles, Camilla, you know, affairs, all of that kind of stuff. Squidgy Gate, bit of entertainment. Squidgy Gate. So it's a, it's a little bit closer to the bone now. But it's so so uh, yeah. Listener here says, "I've no interest in Prince Harry and Meghan. I've no interest in the Royals. I would never buy a book about the Royals, but I'm going to buy this one just because it'll annoy Piers Morgan the more success." <laughs> well, Harry and Meghan are. OK, when we come back, we're going to be discussing uh, the World Cup in Qatar, which is only a few weeks away, and how the ha- fans should behave, according to a British minister. And also, just stop oil protests and attaching a name to a wine brand if the drink isn't very good. All of that to come. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Joining us for the week trending, Pamela Joyce, presenter of our lunchtime show here at Today FM, and Mark Paul, who of course is a business reporter with the Irish Times. Um, Pamela, what about the British Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, and the way he wants football fans to behave in Qatar at the World Cup, which starts in about three weeks' time? Yeah, James, not so cleverly, really. Uh, he's been criticised for a statement he made regarding the World Club, which, Cup, which takes place in Qatar next month. Uh, and he essentially said that any gay football fans attending the tournament in the Islamic country should show respect to Qatar while they're there and in how they behave. Um, male homosexuality is illegal in Qatar. The Qatari government does not recognise same-sex marriage or civil 
corporate partner- partnerships, nor does it allow people in Qatar to campaign for LGBT rights. Uh, and cleverly stated, Qatar was willing to make compromises to allow people it would normally persecute to attend the tournament. Now, it's being expected um, that a 20 billion euro economic boost from hosting the world's most prestigious football tournament will go to Qatar. Uh, they are set to spend more than 220 billion on it. So essentially, it's a case of we criminalise the way you live your life and everything about you, but we need to make some money back. So come on over. And cleverly went on to say um, he's spoken to Qatari authorities on the matter and they said they have accepted that we'll have to make some allowances uh, and compromises in terms of what is an Islamic country with a very different set of, and I quote, cultural norms. Now, homophobia isn't culture. So that's a completely ridiculous statement to make to say that people should modify how they behave in a country that's fairly backwards in terms of human rights just to have a football tournament go ahead. No, there are people who will say that when you go to a country, you have to adhere to the standards in that country, no matter how much you actually disagree with them. But that then itself suggests that this just emphasised why Qatar, Mark, should never have been allowed to host the World Cup. Should, should never have been allowed to host it. I mean, I mean, Gary Lineker, I thought, actually captured um, um, the react- a perfect reaction to James Clever. He says, so what you're really saying, Minister, is that don't do anything gay. That's, that, that, that's what you're saying. Yeah, it should never have went there. And, and you know, arguably it should never have went to Russia um, in, in 2018 either. England um, um, was actually actually tried to try to get um, both tournaments um, and the Qatar and, and you know and and didn't pay enough bribes to win. Didn't yeah, didn't didn't pay enough bribes at all. I think a lot of people have been prosecuted, uh, or, or, or a lot of people have been um, uh, have been found to have taken bribes um, for for where the World Cup went. Um, but actually, Prince William um, was who's the president of the FA, and he played a big big role in 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 trying to in, for for England's bid for those tournaments. Um, and when he was asked yesterday, "Are you going to go to the World Cup in Qatar?" He said he had no plans. Um, that, I mean, that's quite astounding, actually. For the, the, the is he obviously he's making a statement, a, a, a political and international, a sort of a, a pseudo-diplomatic statement by saying he has no plans to go. He's the president of the FA. Um, he's the heir to the throne um, of, of Britain. Um, but he's not going to go. The tournament has become... Uh, Qatar wanted this tournament to, to, to showcase it to the world, but it's become quite toxic. And it's become quite toxic for a lot of people associated with it. Well, Gar- it, it was Gar- for David Beckham, who's taken yeah. something like 120 million quid off them yeah. to promote it over the next 10 years. Although his brilliant decision to go and stand in line for the uh, Queen's coffin for over 12 weeks seems to have insulated him from Qatar criticism. It is, and, and, but even, even, even at a smaller scale, even, even people who are normally quite outspoken on social events, like Gary Neville, um, former Manchester United player, um, who's now gone over there, he's taken, I don't know how much money, but a lot of money for being sports, which is Qatar's um, sports uh, uh, broadcaster, to go over, and he's taken a lot of stick for it. Um, a lot of brands are taking stick for it. Um, so it's, it's, it's become the, the opposite of what it was meant to be this this showcase for Qatar for the world, but all it's done is actually shine a spotlight on Qatar's flaws um, and, and 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 the things that it does wrong and 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 the things that make it different to the, to uh, to this part of the world. Another one here says, "I worked in Qatar. They're fairly easy going, but will not be happy with people getting pissed." Well, at least the Irish soccer team isn't there and the Irish fans aren't going to be there because can you imagine Irish fans having to go on the dry in somewhere like that if they were there for a World Cup? Wouldn't work out. Wouldn't go very well. But we're not there, fortunately. Okay, let's move on. I see something else that if I think King Charles has been stopped by Liz Truss from going to COP28, I think, in Cairo. Mm -hmm. Now it turns out Rishi Sunak isn't going because he's busy with things. But the Just Stop Oil uh, protests as part of the uh, anti-global warming agenda. 
Uh, tell us, Pamela, about some of the protests this week that have followed recent paint-throwing events. Yes, yeah, so uh, it continues. Uh, Dutch police have arrested three people at the Morris House Museum in The Hague after Vermeer's masterpiece Girl with the Pearl Earring became the latest target uh, of climate protesters. In, in what way? What, what was this particular stunt? So we had soup, tomato soup thrown on Van Gogh's flowers. Uh, we had mashed potatoes thrown at a Monet piece. I feel sorry for the poor girl with the pearl earring because a bald man tried to super glue his head to her. Uh, and then oh, Sorry, can we not just clarify it's not actually the paintings themselves. They the are encased yes. in glass yeah. so that gobshites won't be able to yes, damage them. But the, the tomato soup did get a shout out. So he tried to glue his head to the glass and then had someone pour tomato soup over his head. Um, okay, sure. So that's what happened. Uh, the people behind it, like you said, are just stop oil and they're at it again in London that they spray, spray painted a Rolex door with orange spray paint. It's all a bit wild. It's all a bit performist. Bob Geldof has backed them uh, and said it was a clever move because, you know, they knew they weren't actually going to damage the painting, but that they get plenty of media coverage and annoy people. And it, it seems to have worked, to be fair. Does it work? And I think we have a junior minister, Oisín Smith, who seems to be condoning this behaviour as well. Well, you know, I'm kind of torn on this because um, you kind of think, is it effective or is it not? Does it work or does it not? So, I think most people, whilst they're aware of what Just Stop Oil is, they don't actually know what its stated aim is. Okay, Stop Oil, but, but, but what does that mean? Just Stop Oil's stated name is the suspension of all new licences, right, to, 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 to drill for oil and gas. That's actually happened in Ireland. Um, Ireland is the proof that actually you don't actually need to do this kind of stuff to get it done. You just need to do it through electoral politics. The Green Party said, if we get elected in Ireland, we'll stop all of these licences. They did last year. Eamon Ryan banned them all. Um, so why don't they do that in the UK instead of, you know, throwing potatoes and, and tomato soup at paintings and all the rest of it. I mean, I'm sure it's great fun for them up on Darfur Crossing Bridge. They get on TV, they get their 15 minutes of fame. Everybody wants to go viral nowadays and this is their chance to do it. But maybe sometimes it's more effective to do the boring square mm. establishment thing and do it through establishment politics and stop trying to short- shortcut the entire democratic system for your own pet project. I mean, they've been kind of at this for a month and I had no idea that mm. what Just Stop Oil were for That's what it up is. until I did the research for this. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just very performative and not really actually getting anything across. Okay. Now, wine. Would you ban, buy a brand of wine, Pamela, because some somebody's name was attached to it? Like Graham Norton's wine, for Graham example. Graham Norton's wine is lovely, to I've be fair. That. It's very, very nice. Um, and now, uh, it's safe to say nobody will be queuing up for this one, which is safe to say, because uh, Philip Schofield has, has, has had his wine. Took you a while, but you got there. No, no, very good, very good reference. <laughs> Thank you Back very to much. the Queen's funeral again. Um, yes, so the yeah, state. Waitrose have uh, taken his wine off their shelves because it's been labelled as undrinkable. Uh, one review said it's simply beyond saving, that you should avoid it. He launched it back in 2020, saying that it's a real passion project of his and he'd never been more passionate about anything. Um, but if you go onto the Waitrose website now, where it was stock, it just says unavailable and a spokesperson for Waitrose has said, no, it's normal for us to, you know, review our products from time to time and deem what's performing well and what's not performing well. But a wine that's undrinkable is no longer being sold. So it's not it's not a great couple of weeks for Philip Schofield. Mark, is this a thing that celebrity names are attached to alcohol brands? This was Conor McGregor as well, wasn't it? Yeah, Con- Con- Conor McGregor wrote whiskey. But in and fair- apparently that's not supposed to be the nicest whiskey in the world either. Well, look, I'm not a whiskey buff, but apparently Philip Schofield is a bit of a wine buff and has always been known as one. He he, he did a, a, an intro for um, for Jason Donovan uh, years ago, an intro for a video, and Stock Aiken and Waterland paid him in cases of Burgundy because he wouldn't take any money. So he is a bit of a wine buff. He's always been a bit, a bit of a wine buff. But poor old Skil- Philip Schofield, I mean, he gets an awful lot of mm. abuse and scorn in the British media. He's a figure of fun. And, and so, you know, the, the tabloids over there have a great 
you know, crack with this story. That is wine is undrinkable and it's been taken off the shelves. The wine comes in a box, so it should never have been on the shelves in the first place. I mean, I mean, wine. Oh, well, I love good box wine now. Right, you, do you oh, like, yeah. You like box There's wine? There's no class here. But I mean, look, yeah, undrinkable. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you can drink it out of a I'll box. I'll drink it, not like. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just one other thing we'll get to before we finish. Uh, Bono's new book looks like it's going to be a terrific read. There were fantastic extracts in the Irish Times last weekend, Mark. Uh, but Jerry Adams is taking issue with one of Bono's claims. What is that? Yeah, Bono claims in the book, the, the memoir, which is called Surrender, that he received over the years death threats from the IRA. And he also says he got death threats from Dublin gangsters and members of the US right. But specifically in relation to the IRA, he says he got death threats and he was warned by the police that actually his wife, um, Ali Hewson, that she might, might be targeted by the IRA. Now, Jerry Adams, uh, and there's, always, there's been a little bit of needle between them over the years and um, because of Bono's constant calls for peace, um, 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 you know, in the early, early to mid-1990s. Um, Jerry Adams has come out and said that it's news to him that 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 the IRA. How do you know? He yeah. sure didn't. He always tell us he was never in the IRA. Yeah, yeah exa- exactly. Sure, if he, if he wasn't a member of the IRA, surely, uh, surely, uh, it's not a surprise that it should be news to him. But anyway, he's he, he's he wrote a big piece for the Andersonstown News, where he had another couple of little pops at Bono, and uh, he says, "Look, I don't hate Bono. He's just Bono thinks I hate him, but I don't hate him. I just think he was shrill, uninformed, and unhelpful uh, in his commentary." But, but hold on, isn't it actually the case though that in the 1980s there were many our people south of the border who did have to have additional security and back into the 70s yeah. as well because there were genuine threats against their safety and there were kidnappings of leading businessmen ben as Dunn, well. Ben Don Tidy. Um, and there were, there were, there, An attempt in Galen Weston as att- well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, were, there was a litany and then uh, then the INLA, uh, that, that dentist out in Cabin Tealy, um, John O'Grady. John, John O'Grady. So look, look, there was lots and lots of people um, who were targeted um, and so, you know, it wasn't some imagined risk or anything like that. Um, um, but uh, it, the big problem, I think, that the IRA and Sinn Féin and Jerry Adams had with Bono was that he damaged him in Irish America. At a time when Bono's uh, profile was growing in Irish America, US presidents wanted to be next to him. And he's rolling about the place, you know, criticising the IRA all the time. And it cost the IRA financially um, because he damaged him in their money pot where oh, they earned all their cash in the US. And, that, and that's why I think that the, the IRA and Sinn Féin really, really despised him. Pamela Joyce, I just want to finish with you something you're doing on your show starting yes. next week. And I don't think we will make you two your specialist subject because you're way too young for that but tell us about your mastermind that yes you're indeed uh, all next week on the show and the week after we're going to be doing Today FM Mastermind I'll be quizzing all of the presenters on their specialist topic and their general knowledge we're going to have a little leaderboard and a table we're going to see who comes out on top we have a little trophy and everything so Matt, the bar is high for you. Anyone I've said it has said Matt Cooper's going to win that in his sleep. No, no, I only ask questions. I don't answer you, them. But surely you listen to the answers, Matt. It's your job. Sorry, what did you say there? <laughs> Pamela Joyce of our Lunchtime Presenter. Thank you very much for joining us. And Mark Paul, who is, of course, business correspondent with the Irish Times. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.